If you worry about what other people think, soon enough, you will be on the sidelines of your life. Welcome to the Millionaire Woman Show, where we'll be discussing leadership, business, human potential, inspiring you to live rich from the inside out. Unlock your creativity, stretch out of your comfort zone, break through your barriers, take inspired action, and achieve epic results. Now here's your host, three-time best-selling author, speaker, and certified executive coach, Deborah Kozowski. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Millionaire Woman Show. I'm your host, Deborah Kozowski, and today I am so excited to be diving into a brand new book that I have here, of Dis Discovering Optimal, written by Joseph Gibbons. And Joseph is a full-time faculty member at Humber College and the University of Guelph Humber, where he holds exemplary faculty status. His passion is researching and educating people about optimal ways in which they can improve their energy, immunity, and happiness. He is licensed through the Canadian Society of Exercise Physiology to certify personal trainers, CSEP, uh, CPT, and licensed through the Mental Health Commission of Canada to certify groups and individuals in mental health first aid training. Additionally, he holds designations in certified strength and conditioning specialist, functional movement specialist, and clinical exercise physiology. Welcome to the show, Joseph. <laughs> Thank you for having me, Deborah. So before we dive in, how does it how did it feel to hold that book in your hands? Oh my goodness. I so I finished writing the book in uh, May of 2022. And I thought, oh, I'm done right? And then I didn't realize it's my first book. I didn't realize uh, the process after that in terms of copy editing, you know, editing design and everything. And so it felt even better than I thought because all of the little decisions that go into creating it, I never really took into account when I was writing. So to hold it felt um, surreal, I guess. Well, I was really excited. As soon as I saw it come out, I'm like, I need this book. And, you know, because everyone is on a path of their health journey. And we are these live clinical experiments, pretty much walking around to find out what works for us and what doesn't work for us. And one of the things that really caught me because you had it right at the beginning, that you talk about daily obstacles, we have daily obstacles that can have a significant impact in how we live in flow of how, and when we talk about flow, it's just being able to move through life with ease. Mm -hmm. And I would love for you to expand a little bit more on some of how these daily obstacles really do have that impact. Yeah, I, I find that it's really easy for today to be consistently distracted and to stutter step our way through our days. And so, you know, in my own health journey, I'm trying to figure out how I can live with more flow because I spent years in my head, right? The average person has about 60,000 thoughts per day. And so it's easy to get kind of stuck up there and not live a flow like, like experience where you're just, you know, in the present moment. And one of the things that I try to help people do is to be one introspective about what they can improve upon, right? Very deeply introspective about their subconscious programming or their, their current paradigm, because it's easy to think, this is how I think, this is how the world is, and you need to expand it. 
And then another way of trying to help people to get through their day with more happiness, joy, flow, ease is I try to help people to decomplicate it. And one of the ways I do that is I try to help people think of what is a domino in your life? Oftentimes we have, if you knock over this one domino, other health dominoes are going to fall because otherwise it can be overwhelming. You think about, I have to do ensure my hydration and my supplements and my eating and my sleep hygiene and how I interact and all these things and people get overwhelmed by it. But sometimes there might be one or two things that you can do that actually knocks over those health dominoes. So for me, it's if I get up before my children and I exercise, then I know I am going to be more present when they wake up. I am more likely to you know, uh, eat better that day to be more productive. I know that one domino starting my day like that has an impact for the next, you know, 23 hours of that day. And, you know, one of the things you talk about is that the way to your path, the way that you were going was a very painful journey. And you, you off, we often think, you know, we're, we're doing okay. It's working for us. And then all of a sudden, wham, we're we're hit with something, something that takes us off track. Like you said, that domino, it just takes one thing. I would love for you to share with us a little bit of, cause I know you've had more than one. I have <laughs> Just share with us how, you know, you may have thought it was working for you and then you learned that it wasn't. Well, the way I had existed for, for many, many years, right. We all have ways of existing in this world and some are, mostly positive and for other people it's a coping mechanism and I didn't realize until later into my adulthood that one of my coping mechanisms was I I really hid my emotions and I I masked everything with overwork and that's how I existed in this world that's how I felt value and worth and it through the writing of this book that's where I began to start to show some of those vulnerabilities that uh, that I have that I masked for years. I masked, you know, whether it's the loss of somebody or disappointment, I, I masked everything. I put a smile on my face. I continued on. And when life got really difficult, I just delved more into work because that gave me a sense of accomplishment and, and who I am. And so for me, it's, I've had to take a very difficult journey, but it's been beautiful of, trying to swing the pendulum the opposite way now. Whereas I used to hide my vulnerabilities and my emotions, and it was the keep calm and carry on mentality. And now I realize that, you know, as you've read Deborah in my book, I've had different physical and mental health breakdowns. And it wasn't until I made a paradigm shift and I had to do two things. One, I had to change the, the way I viewed the word productivity. And I had to show emotions, show vulnerability. And so now swinging the pendulum the other way is whenever I'm speaking at conferences or with students or with groups of people or like yourselves on podcasts, I want people to use me as a cautionary tale. I talk about how my emotional difficulties and my vulnerabilities, and I try to, ex I try to show people that side of me now so that more people are willing to do that. So they don't get into the desperate situation that I found myself in. So do you think it's 
cultural conditioning, like for men, that that might occur for men um, more so than women, because I, I do believe it exists for women as well. But, you know, traditionally, we don't think of men sharing vulnerability. So I'd be curious as to what you uh, found in your research. Yeah, I there is definitely a, a correlation there between um, genders and the amount of people that will even, you know, go seek out therapy, that will go get help, that will even talk to their, you know, their friends or their family members about things that might be bothering them. Um, so there definitely is that aspect to it. It's also a cultural thing in some ways, because by and large, our, our culture celebrates breadth rather than depth. And so oftentimes, male, female, it is it is hard because we, we find ourselves so busy that it's hard to actually sit down, look at somebody and go to the depth of where the healing needs to go. And because we're so expedited and we're so busy and we're so over-programmed. And so that's why one of the big things that I talk about in the book is because it's something I chased for years. I chased more energy. You know, I always wanted to have more energy. And in doing so, increasing, because a lot of people think they have a time management problem. If I can just solve my time management problem, then, you know, I can do all of these other things. But a lot of people have an energy management problem is if you can get your vital, clean energy where it needs to be, your tasks, you know, chores, work, take less time. And then you have more time where we can sit, where you and me, Deborah, we, we can sit together and we can go deep where I can do that with my wife or a therapist. Mm -hmm. And that's really important. Yeah. Cause I find sometimes when you have conversations with people, you can tell when someone's staying on the superficial side and not superficial in that it's a bad thing is I think that they're scared to go to that depth. They're scared to have that vulnerability for fear, you know, of course, of being judged would be the first thing I would think of thinking that they're the only one that's going through these experiences. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I, I would like to know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. Uh, I remember the, you know, the first few times that I did it, how scared I was. I remember. So the first time that I, I went to speak to, it was, um, it was a corporate organization in downtown Toronto. And I brought my wife with me that day. And I was like, okay, I've got this book coming out that where I'm exposed, this is where I started working on my vulnerabilities. I need to write it out. That's stage one for me. And then I needed to talk about it. And I remember the first time that I did that, I was very, very nervous. You know, I'm, I'm used to speaking in front of people, but about not me, you know? And so now I needed to, to talk about me and take the mask off. And I did that in the beautiful reception. It that I got from people. And then it almost gave people the opportunity to come up to me afterwards and talk about what they're going through or similarities or just to talk. And from there, it just kind of grew. And this is fairly recently, this is, you know, in the last 18 months when I've started doing that. And now I have zero fear of talking about vulnerabilities. I welcome it because I used to fear judgment from people that if I talk about this, then, you know, they're going to judge me or whatever it might be. And, and now I don't have that because I realize that the benefit far outweighs any cost and it actually, it's healing for me. And when you talk about personal stories with people, you see, you can see it in their eyes when people click on and they're really paying attention and people can, they know when somebody's being true and empathetic and real 
And that's sometimes to your point where people talk a lot, you know, superficial mm -hmm. is, you know, you can kind of tune in and tune out when you're having a conversation that's superficial. But when somebody looks you in the eye and starts talking about something real, that's really the juice in life. That's where you get to know somebody's heart and soul and, and what made them who they am. That's amazing. I can imagine the freedom you felt. And, and at the same time, you created that psychological space, um, safe space for people to come and share what they're going through, because it probably took a lot for them to come up to start sharing those things with you. Yeah, yeah, it was very, you know, humbling in a lot of ways, because people would come up and talk to me about very serious stuff that might have happened to a family member or what they're going through. And, you know, sometimes they want help me pointing them in the right direction, you know, if I'm giving mental health first aid seminars, uh, or it's advice on nutrition or supplements or spiritual practices. And, you know, if I don't have the answer, then I work with them and we find the answer together. Uh, but it is, it is a, a beautiful experience because when that happens, I feel different at the end of the day. Um, I feel that it's almost like I connected with the earth more. I know that sounds odd, but, you know, we live in boxes, right? We get up in our box house, we get in our car, we go to our box work, and then we get home and we turn on our box, our television. And, um, you know, so it, it changes it because now I felt something real. And I search that each day now. And you got to be careful. My pastor once told me is, be careful. You can't share with everybody, you know, the depths of your being, because you look at you like rings in your life and the people that are closest to you, you want to have that open relationship. The people on the outskirts, you have relation relations with them, but you know, you just have to know who you want to share with and who you can and who needs it because otherwise it can be actually physically exhausting. If you are just talking to everybody about this stuff all the time. Yeah. So part of, you know, the book is about um, energy management, understanding emotions and that emotions actually can cause physical drain. And so just like when you exercise your muscles, you, there's a recovery period. The same thing when you exercise your emotions, particularly people like myself who spent years hiding it. When I let it out, I'm tired the next day. And then you really have to be focused on how you manage that energy. Yes. Yeah, that is incredibly true. You know, there's a section in your book that you talk about broken, being broken. Mm -hmm. And I know that people will resist going to therapy. They will, you know, say, oh, I'm not broken. And I would love for you just to give your perspective on that word broken when it comes to our mental and physical health and, you know, maybe open or kind of pull the curtains per se as to how people can have a shift in their perspective of what that brokenness is and how you can move forward with a lot of grace. Yeah. So the word broken I use because I I broke down. And when I, when I think of the word broke, I think about something isn't working as it's intended, you know, whether it's something in your physiology, perhaps your heart is not that people are broken, but an aspect of ourselves need repair, right? Just like a car, right? You know, if something goes wrong with the car, you don't throw it out, you try to fix it. And so for people, sometimes it could be mental, could be physical, um, could be spiritual, and it could just be something that needs a little bit of mending. Or for some people that have had decades of, you know, neglect of their body and their emotions, you know, they may need a full physical overhaul. 
but for myself being broken, you know, I, in, in the book, I outlined three different times. Um, you know, I kind of broke down. It took me a long time. Uh, I'm, uh, I have to say to learn my lesson and to give up my addiction to overwork. And the last, you know, breakdown I had was my brain actually started to operate different. You know, I, and, and I want to caution the people that are listening because my third breakdown happened when I was in one of the most happiest times of my life. I was, you know, I got my job that I love. I was doing some stuff on the side. I was engaged to my now beautiful wife. And then that's when I won't go into too much detail, but I, out of the blue, seemingly out of the blue, you know, cause I wasn't looking at the warning signs. I developed a, a mental health problem of which there is no cure, right? I developed a depersonalization disorder, which I now look at as a blessing in my life, but it's something that if I don't manage my physical, emotional, spiritual health, then the symptoms of my depersonalization come back. So for me, I look at it like the grace from God, I've got this blessing of this like barometer in my life that when the heat goes up, I feel the symptoms, I need to get back down to what made me the healthiest. Yeah. And we won't get into the whole details because I want people to go out and grab your book because you do go into greater detail of those experiences and what happened. But one of the things that I will share to grab everybody's attention is that you went into a class and you were thinking, how can I articulate to my students that we can't have this class today? Yeah, that was one of the most, that was uh, the first breakdown. It was in, um, April of 2009. And it was, I was, to give an example, in that year, I worked at the University of Ottawa 26 hours a week. I taught eight courses at a place called Algonquin College. And I uh, worked at a, at a personal training business um, out of a local gym. Uh, so like you can imagine, that's a lot of work. And then I got up in front of my class on a Thursday afternoon, and all of a sudden, the only way I could think and describe it is that the light switch in my brain had turned off. I actually lost the ability to talk. And here are my students staring at me, waiting for me to start talking and teach them the lesson that day. And I couldn't. I got just enough words out to tell them class was canceled. I walked home in a daze. I called my dad. And the only thing I could tell him was the light switch in my brain just turned off. That's what it felt like. And now years later, I know what happened. My amygdala, which is our fear center in our brain, which is responsible to like a primitive area of our brain was for lack of a better way of putting it, it was on fire from overwork and it was slowing everything else down to protect itself. And part of that even was my ability to speak. And so it is, it is quite scary. And that's why, you know, something I say in the book is I hope you're starting from a starting point. That's not as desperate or dire as mine was. And we don't want people to wait until something happens to them to really move into that optimal health. So when I, I think about your story and I think about the, you know, information that I've read in your book, it is really important to not wait until something happens because you can start optimizing at any time. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things, you know, it was interesting because I'm like, you talk about predicting burnout. 
And I don't, I don't think people think about predicting burnout because it's often that they get to a point and then they realize that they were burnt out because they didn't recognize the signs. Yeah. I would uh, love for you to tell us a little bit more about how burnout can be predictable. Yeah, there's, so something I allude to is, um, you know, the word karoshi uh, in the book, which is a Japanese term, which is, you know, um, death from overwork. And it is something that happens here. It's, there are many stages of, of burnout, but the first stage that happens is actually, you know, kind of an addictive uh, addiction to productivity, but you actually feel energized from it. And so you think this can't be bad. I feel energized from this. I feel energized at the end of the day when I've checked 20 things off my list and I'm very productive. I feel great about that. What's bad about that? It's unfortunately for a lot of people, it's a moving target. And this is where it's challenging for some people because we all have different thresholds, just like we have different thresholds when it comes to the amount that you can, amount of emotional um, emotion you can take in a day or how much physical work that you can put in, you know, an athlete versus your regular person. And part of it is when you start to realize, I'll, I'll give you an example, this kind of helps. When I was in my height of my addiction to work, I was sitting down with a friend and I said to him, I said, look, I don't even know what I would do if I had a day off where I didn't work. And he looked at me and he said, you would live your life. And that hit me because I thought my life is work. That's what gives me the sense of who I am. And so that is a big one. It's about stepping back from yourself. And if it helps looking at yourself through the lens of a friend uh, and seeing how balanced your life is, because we all have these dimensions of health right? Kind of like our organs, your organs don't work well, independent of one another, right? They work well when they, when your lungs, when your heart, when your kidneys, when they all work together, the same thing with your dimensions of health. So we have physical health, nutrition, health, spiritual health, environmental health. You know, we have all these different types of health. And when, when one is dominant, it is not segregated. It impacts the other ones. So one of the things you want to ask yourself is what is the quality of my relationships right now? What is the state of my home? How is my sleep? You know, am I getting the recommended amount of exercise? And usually if somebody's close to burnout, they are may sacrificing one dimension for another dimension, which is overwork. And so it just takes, and that's why I have, it's the book is meant to be um, experiential and, you know, there's spots where you actually write in it. So hopefully people can start thinking that, oh, I am over dominant in certain areas maybe I need to switch up the balance a little bit. Yeah. I, I, inside I'm laughing a little bit because I have a friend who one time when I was sharing you my health journey a little bit and uh, she said, you need restorative yoga. And I said, you know how much I love yoga. <laughs> I said to her, I want to look at the door and I want to bolt anytime I'm on a mat. And she goes, no, no, you have what you're resisting persists and you need it. So I, I did it in the, one of the first or second times they said, give yourself the permission to do nothing. And when I heard that, I'm like, what's that permission yes. to do nothing? What would I do with myself? But my, I could tell that my mind was racing yeah. and it took 12 weeks before I could actually understand that it was just embracing that moment and being there. But yeah. I was just like, okay, where's the door? <laughs> How much yeah. longer do I have? And yes. I, and now I look at her and I said, yes, you were right. What I was resisting, I actually needed. 
So it was uh, very interesting that way. In um, the book that you have a quote by Robin Sharma, and I want to throw it in because it really fits into what we're talking about here. And he says, I'm too busy just means I can't say no to the unimportant. Yeah. And I think it's so important for our listeners and viewers to really just sit with that for a moment. Are you in a place of burnout? Are you in a place of being addicted to work? Because I I can even see parts of me in your, your story, Joseph. I'm like, oh, I better um, back it back it off some, right? Yeah. And to really catch ourselves. You also talk about, you know, on the show, we talk a lot about mindset. And you've mentioned a few times about needing to change your paradigm. Mm-hmm. Well, how did you do that? And how would you recommend people to understand what paradigm needs to be shifted for themselves? Yeah. So first of all, I want to, I want to stop for a second and just thank you for this podcast, you know, for, for the work that you're putting in, um, you know, I've enjoyed listening to it, you know, listening to the guests that you have on and your insight and you showing vulnerability as well, because, um, it's important. So anyway, I wanted to thank you with that. And, um, sorry, what was the question again? Is we talk about mindset a lot on the show and about, you've mentioned a few times about the paradigm shifts. Yeah. How does someone recognize that they have a paradigm that needs to be shifted? And, you know, just maybe sharing a little yeah. bit about how you were able to identify and shift through one of yours. Yeah. So paradigm, that is when some people, you hear some people say in movies and TV shows that people can't change, you know, people can't do that. People can change, but it's really hard, right? It's kind of like you see some people, New Year's is around the corner. You see people, they want to change their habits. So what they do is they, you know, kind of like weeds in a garden that are their bad habits. They rip up their weeds for a little while, but they didn't get down to the root, you know, the root. So their bad habits pop up two weeks, two months, two years later, they pop back up. Getting to understanding your paradigm is looking at yourself and saying, I have these habitual bad habits, or I want to change in some way. And for some reason, I haven't been able to. Most of our life is run by our subconscious mind, right? Consciously, we can only focus on one thing at a time, but subconsciously, you know, your body and brain are doing, you know, so many things at once to keep us safe, to keep us forward, and they drive our habitual behaviors. So the first thing I would ask people is because normally people do have behaviors they want to change, but they struggle to for some reason is asking yourself, do you what do you constitute as an ideal life? And have you tried to achieve that to this point? And if you have, and you've struggled with it, as most people have, then we need to go deeper, right? You need to try to get to the root of the problem rather than just pulling out the superficial weeds because it's going to keep popping back up. And so for me, for my paradigm, actually to shift it, it required, and not everybody might require this level of depth. But for myself, I had to go to therapy. And actually my part of therapy was my therapist would bring me back to like my inner self, my, my young self, my eight-year-old self. Mm -hmm. And where did I develop this mindset? Where did I develop these habits or this way of existing in this world? And through working through that, 
for myself, it really helped me. Not everybody is going to need to necessarily go back and figure out why do I do the habits that I do today and why can't I seem to change them? I see these other people that are, they're able to be mm-hmm. um, diligent and they're able to be uh, determined in a certain way. And I struggle with that. And so sometimes it's going to take somebody outside of yourself, like a therapist, somebody trained to try to peel back those layers to get all the way, getting down through the dirt, down through the dirt till you can see the root. And only when you get to the depth of the root, can you actually make changes to it? Very powerful um, metaphors as, as well to explain that because you know, I don't, I don't think, you know, people have a way of existing and it takes a, a lot for them to understand how it's not no longer serving them and how that shift is actually going to make them live in the world more fully. Like you've mentioned she go, that it's a more beautiful path now that you've done the work that needed to be done. Mm-hmm. Now, the other thing you talk about is being a star in your movie mm-hmm. and, you know, when I, when I think about being a star in the movie, I think sometimes one of my favorite things is people watching. Yes. Right. So you're watching people maybe in a food court or, you know, at a park and you're watching how people show up or how they're interacting and engaging with others. And there's times that you can sit back and think, are they really starring in their own movie yeah. or are they shying away where they can be stepping up? Yeah. So I would love, I know you talk about it in the book, so I'd love for you just to delve in a little bit more into that. Yeah. So that's something Bob Proctor talks about, um, you know, you know, are the, you the star of your movie or are you a supporting cast member? And so one of the exercises that I have people do in the book is look at their life from, I, I have people actually write their, you know, like a eulogy for themselves, you know, make yourself live to a hundred, but I want you to write down what you hope people will say at the end of your life when they're given the the, the eulogy for yourself, how you made them feel, uh, felt, what you accomplished, um, how do you want to exist in the world? And sometimes, because we think that we're going to live forever, sometimes it's helpful to go to the end and look backwards and to see what do I want? You know, and and sometimes you're going to realize this isn't what I want. Like on the journeys that I've been on, I thought this is what success looks like to me because that's what mainstream media or whoever tells me. And then I try it and I realize it's not for me. But there are too many people that unfortunately are living lives of quiet desperation. They're sleepwalking through life. And so one of the first things that I ask people is when you wake up in the morning, what does that look like? Does your alarm clock go off? And do you open your eyes and are you excited? to start your day? Or do you want to keep sleeping, you know, metaphorically sleeping through your life and physically actually just keep sleeping. And so you want to help people get to the point where they wake up, their eyes pop open and they're excited to start that day. Now that probably for a lot of people seems like a distant memory. Maybe they haven't felt like that since they were a kid, but that can come back and through physical changes. Cause sometimes somebody mentally, they want all these things, but their body is so tired, ridden with toxins and chemicals and inflammation that even though mentally they're like, this is what I want. I really want it. But physically they don't have the vitality or the energy to get there. And so 
something David Goggins uh, talks a lot about is doing a live autopsy on yourself, right? So you're still alive, but you do what he calls an after action report of what do I need to do to change? And if I'm an accountant or somebody, somebody that's not in this field at all, but I know I want more physical energy, I want more mental clarity. That's the only way that I'm going to be able to get to the life that I want and star in my movie. Cause it all starts. If you don't have the physical energy, I don't see how it's possible to actually live the life and be the star of your movie. And so if you don't have that, it's not your background. The best resource is resourcefulness. Find the people that can help you find a team and just progress equals happiness. That's what people have to understand is progress equals happiness. People think, I talk to my students about this all the time. I say, don't wait to be happy until you get an A in this course or you graduate and you get your degree or you get the job. Celebrate the wins along the way, you know, because progress equals happiness. Don't delay happiness for this future time because society is going to keep telling you, you need more of this to be even happier, right? How transformative for your students to know that there's this legacy that you're building, that these students will now go out and share that story with others to, you know, especially at the age, you know, when I'm thinking you're, most of them are in their early twenties, maybe later, but that impact of having someone tell them a message that they've never received before, potentially. And I just find that so powerful. So Joseph, I'm so grateful that you've put out this book. And the other thing I want to share with everyone in the book, he actually has many exercises, every chapter to help you build this blueprint of your optimal health. And one of the things that you talk about is the toxins in our environment, in our home environments, or what we ingest. So I would love for you to just share with a little bit what on your route of discovery of how you were optimizing your health, how does that, because I think people forget about the environmental health, right? They're thinking about the mental, emotional, spiritual, but when you mention environmental, I'm like, I don't think we think about that as often as we maybe should be. That's a, a fantastic point. It's because it's the invisible, right? It's, you can't see it, but there are over 85,000 approved um, chemicals in everyday use here in North America. And a lot of times these chemicals get put into our system because the creators of it say the amount that's in there is not enough to cause physical harm. And although that is true, what happens is you're only as healthy as your detoxification system. That's why two people can get the same cold, the same flu. But if you notice, you're the person that takes two weeks to get over a cold and not one week, three weeks to get over a flu and not one week, whatever it might be, then you probably have a sluggish detoxification system. To give you an example, there's something called brominated vegetable oil. It was banned in over a hundred countries before it was banned in Canada and the US. And it was designed in the 1970s originally as a flame retardant. And then they found, oh, look, if we put this into citrus drinks, it makes the citrus drink not cloudy. So let's put it in there. And they argued, they said, well, the amount of bromine that's in there it's not enough to be toxic, but again, that's true on paper, but our physiology, if it doesn't excrete it, then it accrues to a toxic level. And so one of the things that I try to do in the book is try to help people make simple changes, 
right? Cost-effective changes. Because if you look at your sink, your kitchen sink, like your detoxification system, and you look at the tap, the water coming out, like the toxins, you want to make sure, because you're going to come into contact with toxins. You want to make sure your drain drains them so they don't start, the water doesn't pile up in your sink. And so sometimes a few small changes can make a massive difference. I'll give you a couple. So one, the Environmental Protection Agency every year puts out a list of um, the top, the dirty dozen, the top 12 most contaminated uh, fruits and vegetables with pesticides. So I said, okay, you can't buy all organic, choose the ones that are on this extremely toxic list, right? Which of which there are certain culprits every year, like apples, uh, strawberries, spinach, there's certain ones that make the list every year. Other things, very simple changes you can make is your cleaning products, right? You don't buy cleaning products every day. And so that's something that you want to make sure isn't because most, most cleaning products are, uh, have a heavy amount of chlorine in them. Um, and that's affects our respiratory system. So if you're going to buy something, you want to look on the label for things that say made safe verified or EWG verified and or you just use vinegar and water or another one might be something you might think about which is i remember back when i was in school you go to a new apartment you go to the dollar store you get your shower curtain right the cheap plastic shower curtain well that's made from something called polyvinyl chloride which vinyl is one of the most toxic man-made chemicals known so simple changes of some foods, some cleaners, some household items that you don't buy every day can maybe be enough to get your detox detoxification system the, the chance to catch up. And, you know, you have a list of them and you talk about modifying or eliminating that sometimes, you know, we can't buy all organic necessarily. If, if you're able to, that's great, but not everyone can. But like you said, you have a choice to minimize some of those things and that there are resources to point you to, to say what is harmful, what is not harmful. And, you know, I'm going to throw in that you, you talked about putting ants in a smoothie, like, come on, <laughs> you have to tell us a little bit about that. So that's an interesting one. I had read about these, these type of ants. Um, so yeah, it, it's not your everyday ants. Is there ground you can, you can buy it. The only way where I know around here is, is Amazon, but it's this ground up ants that you put in a smoothie, but that actually give, gives me quite a bit of energy and, but they're not your everyday ants. These are ants that live high up in mountains and they live um, in around ginseng. And, you know, so ginseng has some very energetic, uh, you know, properties to it. And this particular type of ant, <laughs> it's when you, when you take it in the uh, ground up form can, you know, it might not be for everybody, but uh, for a lot of people that have it, it actually gives them this, this boost of energy, especially when you think about an ant, think about the strength of an ant, you know, able to lift 50 times its body weight. You know, I took my son recently to, or one of my sons to a museum and there was a big bug exhibit and there was this huge section with ants. And we just sat and watched these worker ants work nonstop. And so when you think about the energetic um, properties of an ant, as well as specifically these ones that live in and amongst ginseng roots, yeah, you feel a little bit of that energy when you consume it. <laughs> but again, it might not be for everybody. Yeah. 
Well, the benefit is it's ground up, so you don't really think of it actually putting yes, one by one exactly. in your smoothie. <laughs> one of the other things is, you know, a lot there is a lot of um books out there and stories out there about how your body knows, right? Your body if some an illness shows up, it can often be tracked to the GI system as well. So when you were investigating your optimized health when and talking about introspection, how can people really look at their GI health to see that what could be contributing to how they're feeling? Yeah, so there's there's a lot of ways. And, and I'm glad that you touched on that because your body is, when we think about languages and speaking a language, we think about, oh, do you speak German, English, French? You know, you speak these different languages, but there's all different types of language, right? There's the language of music, there's the emotional language, and there's the language of the body. Right now, everybody listening, your body is giving you clues as to what it needs more of and what it needs less of. But just like a language, a spoken language, you don't speak. If you don't understand the language of the body, you're missing the clues that it's giving you. And so what I try to do is, is give some uh, experiential ways that people can understand where their body might be deficient. And it might point you to, oh, I need to go see a naturopath, or maybe I should book uh, an appointment with a medical doctor or a chiropractor or whoever it might be. So specific to the gut, one of the, so I, I use a lot of field-based methods and, and then if there is a lot wrong there, if you've, you know, noticed that there's a lot of wrong, either than the signs or symptoms, then you can follow up with somebody in your area that can provide you more info. One of the simple ways that you could do it with your, your gut specifically, aside from looking at your, your stools, uh, in, in, in the book, I've got, you know, uh, an ad adaptation of the Bristol school stool scale, <laughs> which helps you recognize which one, what it should look like, as well as, you know, answering questions about, you know, your symptoms of bloating or GI discomfort is you can actually look at your tongue, your tongue, what they do a lot in traditional Chinese medicine is, is gives you an indication of what's happening on the inside of your digestive tract. So my wife, I would see her roll her eyes every time I would stick my tongue tongue and look at it in the mirror and I'd be looking for clues as to if I ate gluten what what was happening to my GI tract if I ate dairy or whatever might if I underconsumed or overconsumed something because there is an ideal tongue and it gives you so much information so for instance an ideal tongue if you look in the mirror should be light pink with a very thin white coating on it but if you look at it and you have a thick white coating you could have an overgrowth of yeast in your digestive tract. Mm -hmm. If you have a pale tongue, it could indicate that you might have a spleen chi deficiency, which could be because of years of overwork. Um, you look at your tongue and you see grooves on the outside. All of these things, it's just like if you look into your eyes, it can tell you what's happening to your body. You look at your tongue, it tells you what's happening to your GI system. You look at your fingernails and you see little white marks. It tells you mineral deficiencies trying to educate the, the, the people out there that don't know health as well, how to look at simple things about their body that can point them in the direction of a healthcare provider in their area that can help them further. You know, and when it comes to optimizing, you also talk about not only are we looking at um, mindset, we're looking physicality, we're looking at the emotional and mindset as well, but bridging that mind and body when it comes to that optimization. 
How do people go about starting to create their blueprint? Creating the blueprint starts by asking yourself what you want, what constitutes an ideal life. So what I want out of life is may not be what you want out of life. And you need to really ask yourself. And again, asking yourself questions like, you know, what do I, what work will bring me the most type of happiness? So in the book, I talk about different types of happiness, hedonic happiness and eudaimonic happiness, right? Hedonic happiness is, you know, typically what you get in, you know, when, you know, it might be when you buy something or you know, when you have a good interaction or whatever it might be quick. A lot of people aren't thinking or doing enough uh, eudaimonic happiness, which is happiness that aligns with their spirit, you know, which could be, you know, charity work that you've always wanted to do, or, you know, comforting a child late at night when they're sick, or, so I try to help people to under create what they want, what constitutes an ideal life, and then work from that point there. Because some people, what they constitute as an ideal life, they might be really close, or they might be really far away. And some people are a lot closer than they think. So when I work one-on-one -on -one with people, it's, some people are, are really close. This reminds me of a story called Three Feet from Gold, which was, you know, this, um, this person who was drilling for gold for a long period of time, couldn't find a gold vein and they gave up. And what they did, they sold all of their mining equipment to a resourceful junk man. And this junk man used their resourcefulness. They hired somebody to do some surveying and they found out that the previous owner that was mining for gold or the metaphor we can look for happiness or an ideal life, they were really close. But this junk man, this resourceful person got help and they realized that the gold vein was only three feet over. And so for a lot of people, simple changes might actually knock over the dominoes into creating the beautiful life that they really want. It's just a lot of times people get overwhelmed with the concept of thinking they have to override their whole life when simple changes can actually start that process for you, because I don't want that to be a barrier for people to making change. And when we're days of delay and uh, procrastination turns into weeks and turns into years, and for some people, it turns into a lifetime. And so hopefully what people get out of the book is that we can make these simple changes and you might be a lot closer to the happiness that you want than you actually think. Joseph, I could talk to you. I have so many more questions I could be asking you about this book and I might have to send you an email with some of them. Some of them. Yeah, of course. I love it. it. It is a phenomenal book. It's very practical. It has strategies. It has tips. I highly recommend your book. And it really got me thinking about everything from toxins to mastering our emotions to visualization. So really for everyone listening and viewing that, you know, get your hands on this book. You can transform your life a lot easier than you think. Um, there might be some of his stories in there, the vulnerabilities that you can see yourself in as I have, and just those little steps and celebrating those small wins along the way. Before we go, Joseph, I always have a couple questions to ask before, you know, we end the podcast. What is one book that has transformed your life other than the one you wrote? Because I know that writing a book is transformational on its own. Yeah. 
So it's it, to me, it's almost always the, the book that I just finished reading. <laughs> so I actually just finished one last night. Um, and so that one is on the top of my brain. If you ask me a month from now, it might be a different book. But the book I just finished reading was one called Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Um, now, he takes a very, very extreme approach to uh, his life, which is not for everybody. But I find it very uh, motivating to see what this individual has overcome in their life. Mm -hmm. And they are working, he is working tirelessly to create the, the life that he wants. And, you know, for anybody that runs out and gets it, I'll, I'll just let you know, he, he works to the nth degree. You do not have to work like he does to, to, to have that. But I think his raw vulnerability and um, because he is so far into the other extreme as to where most people are, I think it might be enough to shift some people's mindset enough to actually create change. So again, you asked me a month from now, it might be different, but currently <laughs> can't hurt me uh, is the one that's on there. Yeah. And David Goggins, like he, he does have a radical approach. Yes. But he knows that that's what what he needs for himself to yes. optimize his own health and the way he does things. That's what he needs. Yeah. Yes, exactly. What does it mean to you to live rich from the inside out? It's very simple for me. It's when I have that connection, right, with my family. Um, what my wife and I are trying to do when we first got together, we bonded over overwork. And now instead of trying to grow out, we're trying to grow deep. And so that's what we're just trying to do with, with ourselves individually uh, and with our family. And so richness to us is, you know, my kids wanting to play with me when I get home. Uh, my wife and I, you know, valuing date nights is, it's just investing in my community. Um, that's what, and, and richness to me is when I hear that, my vulnerability or, you know, some tips that I've shared has helped people in some, some way. Um, that brings me more joy and more inner peace than, than anything else ever could. Very powerful. Very powerful. Thank you so much for this interview. And of course, before you go, you need to let us know how people can stay in touch with you or, you know, book you for speaking engagements or whatnot. So please share. Sure. Yeah. So basically the, the, the two ways, one is my website. Uh, so the book's called discovering optimal, my website's discoveringoptimal.com. And then and if, um, if you want to follow me on social media, then you can really look up optimal seeker. Uh, and you can see, I share tips on there and I communicate with people, uh, in the chat room there. So those are the two ways that you could get in touch with me. Thank you for joining us, Joseph. Your book, Discovering Optimal, is going to change lives. And I know you're changing the lives of your students every single day. Oh, thank so you. thank you for the work that you do. And thank you for the work you do, Deborah. I am I'm I'm so loving going through your podcast and listening to your guests. And so please continue to do what you do because it's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much. Of course. I would love for you also to go over to our website at www.debrakazowski.com. There'll be Reset Your Mindset is there for a limited time because it's time to shift things up. It's a 10-page PDF of setting you up for your success. And if you ever feel off track, 
just go to that resource. It is all about being resourceful. As Muhammad Gandhi said, be the change you wish to see in the world. And as always, go out and make today great.